Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 628. Ah, yes. The Wonder of Birds. That happens to be the title of a wonderful new book subtitled, What They Tell Us About Ourselves, The World in a Better Future. Jim Robbins is the author, and he'll be with us in just a few minutes. But first, this. Among the photos currently appearing on our Talking Birds Facebook page this week is a great shot of an American oyster catcher taken by our friend and Talking Birds ambassador, Jim Clark, down in Virginia. Meanwhile, the Eurasian oyster catcher, a close relative of the bird in the photo, is the focus of a 20-year study led by the Australian National University which concludes that some birds that use coastal habitats are proving to be unable to adapt to rising sea levels. Bullet points for the article include these. One, birds that use coastal habitats have shown no adaptive response to tidal floods. Two, there's no evidence that they move their nests in response to higher sea levels. Three, predators or unsuitable vegetation might discourage birds from nesting higher. And four, the problem is set to worsen as higher sea levels and tidal floods are predicted to become more frequent and severe due to climate change. Check out our Facebook page for a link to the story. Last week's mystery bird was the Mississippi kite. Congrats again to Susan in Berkeley, Massachusetts for winning uh, the contest with her correct answer. We were kidding around about the idea that she'd never seen a Mississippi kite in her town, but had forgotten the fact that these birds are often spotted in the northern states, including here in New England. And just a couple of hours after last week's show wrapped up, we saw a posting on the Mass Bird Forum from Sean Williams on Cape Cod, stating in part, three Mississippi kites are putting on a nice show from the Province Lands Visitor Center in Provincetown. They're airborne over various areas of Provincetown. End of post. Provincetown, by the way, is right at the tip of Cape Cod, across the bay and just southeast of the city of Boston, and just a few miles from the famous Birdwatcher's General Store in Orleans. Meanwhile, some very spectacular birds are waiting for us in the Galapagos Islands. We're heading there in September, and we're inviting Talking Birds listeners to join us. We're getting pretty close to departure time, so we'd like to urge all Talking Birds listeners who have even the slightest inkling of interest in making this trip with us to waste no time in visiting the website, whose address I'll mention in just a minute. And when we get to the islands, by the way, we'll see the finches made famous by the research of Charles Darwin. We'll see Galapagos tortoises, marine iguanas, blue-footed, red-footed, and Nazca boobies and flightless cormorants, among many other species of birds, along with mammals and fish, and we'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins, the only penguin species that occurs north of the equator. The Galapagos Islands straddle the equator, 
but because of Antarctic currents, it's not really hot there. You could look it up. Trust me, this is going to be a fabulous experience, so please do check it out at sunriseburning.com. That's sunriseburning.com. This really is a once-in-a-lifetime trip, so don't let it pass you by. Get all the details at sunriseburning.com. We'd like to say thank you to two new ambassadors joining our Talking Birds Ambassadors program, including Bill Kirkpatrick in Barrington, Rhode Island. Bill volunteers for the Barrington Conservation Land Trust and is now volunteering for Talking Birds, along with Marie Texera from Bloomington, Illinois, who says she's new to birding and wants to turn her friends on to it. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, Marie, and Talking Birds listeners. Kindly do consider joining Bill and Marie and all the other members of our Ambassadors program. You'll hand out some info cards about our show to your friends and associates. Easy to do and easy to sign up for. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option. Via the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. No G in talking. That there is the sound of our mystery bird. And this is a preview of our mystery bird contest. Not time to call yet, but we're getting you ready from when we do the contest in just a little bit. A couple of clues here. Our mystery bird is small and rather plain. No wing bars, no tail spots, no eye ring, no crest, no bright coloration, just grayish green on the back, whitish underneath, with kind of a thick grayish eyebrow. Our bird winters mostly in southern Mexico, found in spring and summer, and deciduous in mixed woods, often near streams where it feeds mostly on insects and sings almost constantly. Some say you can imagine hearing these words when our mystery bird sings. If I seize you, I will seize you, and I'll squeeze you till you squirt. All right, that's one of the mnemonics that some claim this bird uh, kind of uh, represents. But we'll be doing that in just a little bit. And we'll be giving away another beautiful feeder from Droll Yankees. So get ready to call when we kind of give the signal a little later. Still to come on our show, in addition to that, in addition to Jim Robbins talking about his new book, The Wonder of Birds, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's Birdwatchers General Store. He's back from his Nova Scotia birding trip and promises to offer us some tips about backyard birding and bird watching and bird feeding in our Let's Ask Mike live segment. And right now we head to Cape May, New Jersey in hopes of finding today's featured feathered friend. Some birds are named for places where you might not often find them, like the Nashville Warbler and the Tennessee Warbler. Today's featured feathered friend is named for a place where after it was first described there, wasn't seen again there for more than a hundred years. The place was Cape May County, New Jersey. And the bird is the Cape May Warbler. Cape May, Cape May, I'll be back to see you on my day. The female Cape May Warbler typically produces a clutch of six eggs, and that large number is thought to allow their populations to expand rapidly when their favorite prey, the spruce budworm, is available in large numbers. In the winter, the Cape May Warbler's food source is quite different when it takes advantage of an anatomical feature that's unique among warblers. It has a curled, semi-tubular tongue with which it collects nectar and fruit juices on its tropical wintering grounds in the West Indies and Central and South America. 
In breeding plumage, the male Cape May warbler has a brown back, yellowish rump, and dark brown crown with a bright yellow throat and neck. In its face is a striking chestnut color with a black eye stripe. Its striped yellow and black underparts explain its tiger-themed scientific name, Tigrina. Here's our bird's high-pitched song. The Cape May Warbler, Satophica Tigrina. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 628. Please do visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TalkinBirds. Jim Robbins has written for the New York Times for more than 35 years. He's also written for numerous magazines, including Audubon, Condé Nast Traveler, Scientific American, Vanity Fair, among others. He's covered environmental and science stories across the U.S. and around the globe. His book, The Man Who Planted Trees, put him on the map as a respected voice about the natural world and our environment. And we're happy to have him with us here in Talking Birds in connection with his wonderful new book, The Wonder of Birds. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Ray. Great to have you on with us, Jim. You have kind of an ambitious subtitle to your book. It's What They Tell Us About Ourselves, the World, and a Better Future. So even though you illuminate so many of the remarkable attributes of birds, you do a lot more than that all through the book by exploring the human connection with birds. That's right. I think that's probably what sets this this book apart from other bird books. Well, tell us a little bit about that, how you sort of got the idea to approach it this way. Well, I read a lot of books about birds I've read and, and articles, and it seemed to me there was something missing, which is how useful they are to us, at least as part of this book. And, and I, as I started doing some research, I found that the number of things that people are studying birds for are pretty remarkable. Uh, there's uh, something uh, called cryptochrome, for example, that they find in birds' eyes. And they think that uh, this enables birds to see through, through something called quantum entanglement, some researchers do anyway. Uh, this allows birds to see magnetic lines on the planet. And so they're able to, to uh, navigate through this, this quantum entanglement. Well, it's not settled science yet, but it's, it's just one of the things that researchers are looking at that, that when I discovered it, I was kind of like, whoa, that's amazing. And so there's lots of things in this book that kind of made me say, whoa, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and in connection with that, uh, Jim, if I'm not mistaken, I think you mentioned in there that some scientists anyway think that humans might have that same capability that's just kind of dormant. That's right. We may have also the ability to see things that uh, we don't realize simply because we haven't developed it. Hmm. Well, in the first few chapters, you talk about birds as the living descendants of dinosaurs, about the power of feathers, about birds as sentinels, about the incredible feats of the hummingbird family. And then uh, you look at the kind of mind-boggling phenomenon of murmuration in which huge flocks of birds seem to move as one giant undulating cloud. Most of us have probably seen videos of European starlings uh, displaying this, uh, these patterns. And you quote scientists, uh, science journalist Stephen Johnson about this swarm intelligence. 
He says that what he calls emergence in connection with this behavior is the big, big mystery of science. And you speculate about what we might learn from this phenomenon and what it could mean in a very practical way for human society. And I wonder if uh, you'd read uh, those couple of paragraphs there in page 47, Jim. Yes, I'm happy to do that. Um, Cracking the secret of emergent behavior and flock intelligence could throw open a brand new understanding about the principles that govern the world around us. Just a rudimentary understanding of the self-organization of a bird flock, as it is also sometimes called, has already proven useful to better predict bird strikes on aircraft, to provide new ideas about how traffic moves on highways, to help physicists decipher particle swarms and how crystals form, and to enable engineers to enhance the control of remotely piloted aircraft. And experts who are mining this complex natural phenomenon for ideas say that this is just the beginning. It could someday cast light on the phenomenon of embryogenesis, the way that myriad cells come together right on cue in the symphony of developing life to form the liver, heart, and other organs in a growing embryo. It might lead to the creation of medicine-carrying nanomachines that could be deployed to swarm through the veins and arteries of the human body to target a range of illnesses, from muscle disorders to cancer, or it might even lead to a far more refined understanding of how our brain works. Wow. <laughs> pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And another way, Jim, that you connect birds to people in your book concerns a subject that most folks can relate to pretty strongly in this fast-paced modern world, and it relates a little bit to what you were just mentioning there about health, and that would be stress. And you refer to research that indicates that birds who are stressed may end up being poor singers, resulting in failure to attract a mate. But you suggest there's a silver lining in that process for the stressed birds and maybe for humans too, right? Yeah, well, the the, uh, the researcher that I talked to said that um, um, birds that are stressed uh, have trouble finding a mate. Their song isn't as developed in zebra finches as um, as it is in in birds that aren't as stressed. But when they when they do become mates, they become better better parents. They they stay around the nest more. They they feed uh, feed the babies more, and they they take better care of their offspring. So there is a, an upside to that. Again, this is one of the things we can study in birds and understand more about other creatures, in, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's some fascinating stuff in the book, too, about why people like to look at birds. And you describe a surprising answer that Cornell Lab ornithologist Janice Dickinson provided about that. I wonder if you could give us just a brief overview of the thinking offered uh, by her and others really about how our sense of our own mortality comes into play. Yeah, I think this is probably, to me, one of the most fascinating parts of the book is that we all, according to a cultural anthropologist who kind of began this this idea back in the, in the 70s, he wrote a book called The Denial of Death, Ernest Becker, and he said we all carry this fear of, of mortality with us, and we don't realize it. We all kind of live our lives with this background level of, of anxiety, and that birds have been shown to alleviate this uh, this fear that they're transcendent, they're they're high in the uh, individual field, and there's uh, work uh, research to show that that relieves anxiety. Um, their uh, flight has been shown to kind of lift us and, and away from this concern. And then I kind of look in the book at at how some some people have 
they don't know this idea, but they found in birds, actually many people, this this comfort, uh, this kind of therapy almost uh, of of working with birds, of watching birds. And I think there's something to this. I think and there's much research going on in this area. I think birds lift us in a sense, both uh, both uh, physically and uh, and uh, psychologically. That might tie into kind of the spiritual connection to birds that you talk about with indigenous people uh, in many parts of the world, and you suggest that uh, the many different ways people can live with birds offers essential wisdom for our own culture. So just to return to part of the subtitle of your book, A Better Future, how do you see the future for birds, Jim, and for people? And has the research and writing of the book made you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Well, someone said once, I'm, I'm an intellectual pessimist, but a glandular optimist. <laughs> so I think I am a, I am a optimist in many ways, although there's plenty to be pessimistic about. But, um, I, I, you know, I ask questions in this book. I don't have all the answers, but I kind of point in directions to, where we can ask questions. And I think other cultures have shown that we can um, we can have a different kind of relationship with nature. I think that's kind of the heart of what I'm trying to get at here, is that if we look at what other cultures are doing, uh, they're living within nature, they're adapting to nature in a different way. I think there there may be some of the answers we, we, uh, we need to kind of, um, kind of uh, turn things around. I don't think it's all about CO2 levels. I think part of it is becoming more aware of, of this world we live in. I, one of the themes of my books and and uh, my articles is how little we really know about what's going on in the world. And I think, uh, you know, you've read this book, you can see how much we really don't know, and I think we need to kind of come to understand that, not only what's going on in nature, but what's going on in ourselves and, and why we, we uh, are doing the things that we do in the world. Jim Robbins is the author of The Man Who Planted Trees. He's written for the New York Times for more than 35 years and for many leading magazines. And his marvelous new book is The Wonder of Birds, What They Tell Us About the World and a Better Future. What They Tell Us About Ourselves, the World, and a Better Future. Congratulations on this terrific book, Jim, and thanks for being with us. Oh, you're welcome, Ray. Coming up next here, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forests can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. If we continue to consume our natural resources at the rate we do now, by 2050, it could take three Earths to meet our needs. The Earth can't speak up when it needs help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle, unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy, unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Talking birds the Amazon's rainforest is being cut down. by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. That's birds.cornell.edu. If you're not hearing our Sunday morning show live, Sunday mornings 9.30 to 10 Eastern, 
and think you're unable to enter our mystery bird contest, there is a solution. Tune into our show online anywhere you are. Just go to TalkingBirds.com to do it, and you can take part in our mystery bird contest and uh, hear us live. You can also search for Talking Birds in iTunes or Google Play. And if you want to listen to our podcasts and they aren't in your favorite podcasting app, please let us know. We're on lots of podcasting apps these days. Mystery bird contest. We're trying to identify this mystery bird. Here's our number, by the way, 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird is small and rather plain. No wing bars, no tail spots, no eye ring, no crest, no bright coloration. Just grayish green on the back, whitish underneath, with kind of a thick grayish eyebrow. Our bird, which winters mostly in southern Mexico is found in spring and summer in deciduous and mixed woods and often nests near streams where it feeds mostly on insects and sings almost constantly. Some say you can imagine hearing these words when our mystery bird sings. If I seize you, I will seize you, and I'll squeeze you till you squirt. I'm not sure I've heard that, but uh, that's one of the things they say it says. But anyway, that's our mystery bird, 781 837 4900 is the number, 781-837-4900 on our Mystery Bird Contest. The prize this morning, this is a beauty of the Droll Yankees' new generation metal finch sock. It combines the attraction of a finch sock with the durability of metal, and it holds a full pound of niger seed, a.k.a. thistle seed. You can't wear this sock, but you can hang it up or mount it on a pole. So that's our prize, and that's our mystery bird. 781-837-4900 is the number. If you know what it is, by all means, tell us. And if you just want to take a guess, that's okay, too. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor is back in the backyard, back from Nova Scotia, and he'll give us some tips about what's going on in the backyard here in the month of June. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Well, Talking Birds listeners, we're getting ready to go to the Galapagos Islands. We'll be heading there in September, and we're inviting Talking Birds listeners to join us for this trip of a lifetime with one of the best small group touring companies on the planet, Sunrise Birding. More cabins have been added, but this trip will be sold out, so don't hesitate. Travel with us to one of the most amazing places in the world, home to abundant and approachable wildlife, including birds that are found nowhere else on Earth, even Galapagos penguins with whom we'll snorkel. They're the islands where Charles Darwin's research led to the groundbreaking theory of the origin of species, and we'll be there during the season when sunshine is abundant and birds and mammals are most active. Galapagos veterans rave about our tour's itinerary. We'll see places and creatures that other tours don't. I'll be your host for this unforgettable trip, along with expert local guides. Please join us. It's easy to find out more at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. Mike O'Connor down there at the Bird Watchers General Store on beautiful Cape Cod is back in the backyard there. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, Ray, and, and yeah, it truly is beautiful today. Yeah, we've been waiting for a lot of sunshine, and uh, we finally got a lot. In fact, I could say I got a little too much yesterday, but that's 
kind of another story. <laughs> no, let's hear about that. <laughs> no, no, just a little sunburn, that's all. Yeah. That's all. But you're back from New Scotland up there, Nova Scotia. That's right, yeah. That was quite a trip, and I'd yeah. recommend it to anybody. It was really pleasant up there. I went all the way up to Cape Breton National Park, and mm. their parks are free right now, like ours, and so it's a very exciting time, and uh, I would definitely take a trip uh, uh, up there if you can. A lot of good mm. birds, but... I'm back now, and I'm back in the backyard, and this is a tough time for, for some backyard people because <laughs> all our birds are nesting right now, which is a good thing. That's how we get more birds. Mm. Oh, but okay. because of that, they're, um, they feed their babies, most of them feed their babies insects to help them grow and get them out of the nest because, yeah. believe it or not, birds are only in, in the nest after they hatch around two weeks, give or take really short time and mm-hmm. they have to get them out because they're in danger yep. so they feed them all insects give them protein and then they fly but during that time the uh, birds chickadees and cardinals and titmice and nuthatches are more focused on insects and less focused on our feeders yeah. and i get a lot of disappointed customers who call me up and they'll say oh the birds have left the feeders they're not coming something's wrong with the seed that's usually the go-to response anytime there's a problem there's something wrong with my yeah, you have the defective seed department there. I <laughs> That's right. Nice All of a sudden, I got a batch of bad seed. <laughs> but the, the truth is, they're feeding their babies insects, and um, you just have to kind of put up with it. Even Orioles that we were all excited about last month are, are busy mm-hmm. with insects, so they're less. They're not coming to the our feeders as much. The oranges or sugar water or jelly, and so the, all that stuff has calmed down. But the good news is. Once these birds are fledged, once these babies are flying around, now there's way more birds. There's four or five times more birds to come to feeders. So if you hang on for a few more weeks, and when the babies are flying, they'll be back at the feeders, and then people will be coming in and saying, I can't keep up with the feeders. They're going crazy. So just ride it out. Oh, yeah, you can't win at the Bird Watchers General Store, no matter how you try. Thank you, Mike. Take care of that sunburn, Ray. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Got it. I've got my unguentine. I'm going to <laughs> I don't think they use unguentine anymore either, but we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. 781-837-4900 is the number trying to identify this mystery bird. A small and rather plain bird. No wing bars, no tail spots, no eye ring, no crest, no bright coloration, just grayish green on the back, whitish underneath, and kind of a thick grayish eyebrow. What is it? 781-837-4900. The new generation metal finch sock feeder from Droll Yankees is our prize. 781-837-4900. Our friend Charlie in Duxbury, Massachusetts is over there. Good morning, Charlie. Hi, Ray. How are you? What a beautiful day. Oh, my goodness. It's it's really gorgeous. Yes, indeed. Mystery bird, Charlie. Beautiful. I'm going to guess with a rose belly passerina. Oh, you've invented another bird, Charlie. That is a bird, Ray. The ro- that's that's really a bird? The rose belly? That is a, that is a bird from uh, the, the Mexico area, yes. Oh, okay. Well, we're not in the Mexico area, so uh, okay. that's all I can say. <laughs> I'm going to look that up. That's a beautiful name for a bird anyway. I'll have to see what that looks like. And there's a lot of beautiful birds out here. Ray. It's gorgeous out. Indeed. Thank you, Charlie. All right, enjoy your day, sir. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, you too. 781-837-4900 is the number here on the Mystery Bird Contest. It's not a rose-bellied passerina. Kind of wish it was, but uh, what is it? 781-837-4900 is the number. Sue is in Marshfield, right in our own our backyard here. Not quite literally, but pretty close Hi, somewhere. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thank you. What do you think, uh, Sue, on the mystery bird? Well, I'm going to uh, guess a vireo. 
Virio. Well, there are and, a few different kinds. I also like yeah. to say if you're not eating the seed, but when you're digging in your garden and you find grubs, put some grubs out and the birds just flock to them. Put some grubs out for the birds. Okay, yeah, yeah well, because they're eating. The grubs when you're digging, yeah, they're eating insects put them in a and stuff. Saucer and they'll come right down to it. Grubs, grubs in a saucer. We we've got yeah. it. Even though it's hard to hear Sounds hear you good. a little bit, but I I got the concept. And uh, yeah, they're eating. Uh, you know, getting protein for those uh, hatchlings yeah. Yeah. right now. So uh, let's see. Uh, oh, you said a virio. Uh, we can you be yeah, more specific? That was the best I could come up with. with All right. Well, if no one comes, if, if no one gets more specific, then you'll uh, you could be our winner. So stay in tune. Okay. Thank All right. You. Thank you, Sue. Francis is calling from somewhere on the road. Good morning, Francis. Good morning. Um, is it a warbling vireo? A warbling vireo. Uh, yes, apparently it is. Listen to that applause. A warbling vireo is absolutely correct. Nice, nice job, Francis. You want to tell us where you are in the road, or is that kind of a secret trip? Um, we're headed up to Maine, uh, to Acadia National Park. Oh, my gosh. What a beautiful place. We were there, did our show from there last year. Have a great time and stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that uh, Droll Yankees feeder. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Francis. The warbling vireo is our mystery bird. We are out of time. Next week, the one, the only, Nick Lund, the birdist. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you.